A man was on vacation in Acapulco, Mexico, enjoying a nice stroll in the beautiful weather there. And he was alerted by a woman who was screaming. And as he looked, he saw her kneeling before her son. So he rushed over to see if he could be of assistance. And he knew enough Spanish to know that her son had swallowed a coin. So he knew exactly what to do. He grabbed a little boy by his heels and picked him up and turned him upside down and began to shake the little boy. And sure enough, an American quarter fell out of his mouth. And she says, well, thank you, sir. You knew exactly how to get it out of him. Are you a doctor? And he said, no, ma'am. I'm with the Internal Revenue Service. <laughs> and all of God's children said, amen. I will tell you that we need a little levity today, just a little bit in terms of where we're going. So I'm glad that we had a laugh. We'll see about the rest of the way. The Pharisees and the Herodians, who traditionally or historically did not like each other, but they did have a common ground, and that was a mutual hatred for Christ. So they had a question for him, but it wasn't just a question. It was a trap question. The question was, is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? They thought they had Christ. We got him. Because had Jesus just said, yes, just pay your taxes, well, then the Pharisees would have attacked him for approving of the Roman government and the graven image on his currency. Had he said, don't pay your taxes, then Herodians would have presented him to the Romans as a rebel. But the foolishness of God, as we know, is always wiser than men. Look at Mark 12, 16 and 17. And they brought it. And he saith unto them, Whose is the image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Uh, mission not accomplished. Mission failed. The trap did not work. If they were using Roman currency that had the image and superscription of the Caesar, then they were using his currency in his kingdom. So render to him what belongs to him was essentially the answer. In this, Jesus was acknowledging one of three God-ordained institutions, the civil government. The other two, as we know, are the home and the local church. And in 1 Peter 2.13, we see that Peter clearly recognized the God-ordained institution of the civil government. Look at verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Now, believers at this time could have easily found that command to be unreasonable, if not preposterous. Wait a minute. You want us to submit to a king and a government that is butchering us unmercifully without cause. And you want us to submit to them? Uh, not much has changed today. For different reasons, though, believers, some believers can find it 
unreasonable to submit to our current government. Maybe you're not a fan of our current president. Maybe you voted for a different presidential candidate. Maybe you have very deep concerns about the integrity of the most recent election. Just maybe. Well, here's what we must understand, and I mean we all must understand this from God's perspective, which is the only perspective that matters. And whatever God's perspective is, it must be mine and it must be yours. Submission to God-ordained authority is ultimately a reflection of our submission to God. This is what we must understand Submission to God-ordained authority, listen, is not about you. It's not about your preferences, your likes, or your dislikes. It's about what pleases God. And that's how you always want to operate as a believer in Jesus Christ, what pleases God then that's my perspective, then that's what I am about. And what I am telling you is, submission to God-ordained authority is ultimately a reflection of your submission to Him. There's no way around that. Look at Romans 13.1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Now, this is not damnation in the eternal punishment context. It's referring to punishment, which should not be taken lightly. But we submit to God through the civil government. We do. We submit to God through the civil government. Now, this is very, very critical. For some, maybe not, but for some, this will be. We must understand, listen, God is not anti-government. God is not anti-government. Clearly, he's not. Please hear me, though. That is not to imply that God is somehow political. However, God does belong to a party, and I will make that definitively clear biblically here in just a moment. But God is pro-government for the sake of the law and order that it brings to society. Chaos and anarchy in a society displeases him. And please hear me, that is not a political statement, that is a biblical statement, Look at Romans 13, 13 again, the same context. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Without the institution of the civil government, the streets as we know them would literally be killing fields. You would not feel safe or comfortable leaving your home, getting into your car to go to the store. You'd be terrified. If we did not have the institution of the civil government, this place, as we, I mean, it would be absolute chaos and anarchy. But with human government comes what? Politics. Politics. 
There's no way around that. And as it relates to politics, here's what you and I must know. Because I'm going to give you now God's party. You ready? God is the sovereignty party. There it is. God is the sovereignty party. Now, you won't find any campaign ads for this running on TV, nor is it going to be on the ballot when you vote. But when you turn the pages of this blessed holy book, it's saturated with this. God is the sovereignty party. And if you had to make a political statement in any capacity whether it be in person or online, if you have to make a political statement, this is the statement that you want to make, is that my God is the sovereignty party. And that is rooted in many places, but we see it very clearly in Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. That's the sovereignty party. That's it. This is why Peter could command the believers during this time to submit to a wicked diabolical regime. Why? Because my God is sovereign. My God ultimately is in control. But this is so very urgent. And what I'm about to say to you all now. In terms of where we've been these last two years, where we are, and where we're going. The politics surrounding COVID-19 have been as harmful as the virus. That is absolutely true. And I noticed this. I noticed this. It's very interesting to me. When Donald Trump was campaigning for re-election, the message and the tone from the Republican Party uh, was one that advocated Operation Warp Speed. Uh, This was the accelerated effort to develop vaccines against COVID-19. I also remember very clearly during that time that Kamala Harris was very clear and defiant that if Donald Trump mandates that we have to take the vaccine, that she's not going to take it. But the messages have changed. The Biden-Harris administration wants all Americans that can to be vaccinated. And the Republican Party is now viewed as the anti-vax party. Now listen, I'm not being political here. I'm just giving you the truth. That is the truth. And both have their scientists and their medical teams lined up to make their points and give you your talking points so that you can fiercely debate them with others. And I marvel at how many Christians are just... So simple in the proverbial sense, Proverbs in that sense, where they're so gullible and they take it and they're like a dog attacking a piece of meat and they're ready now to just go to war 
over this article they've read or this thing. <laughs> what, what happened? How do we go from here to here? Meanwhile, on Tuesday night, our dear sister Erica stood up with tears in her eyes and asked us to pray for her co-worker's son. His name is Trevor. He's 12 years old. He's been in the hospital suffering from COVID for over 40 days on an ECMO machine that basically makes his heart and his lungs operate. It's essentially life support. Doctors said his lungs are, it's like they're trying to squeeze out glue from all the pneumonia that's in his lungs. He can't walk, he can't stand. It's considered a small victory that he can even sit up for eight minutes. And you know what his mom needs right now? Let me tell you exactly what she needs. What his mother needs right now is she needs to hear that vaccines don't work. Or she needs to hear, well, he should have been vaccinated. Or maybe it's not even COVID. Who knows? All of this is being fabricated. Or maybe they aren't treating him right. They ought to use this protocol. That's what she needs, right? Her 12-year-old son in a hospital for over 40 days. And she needs that type of political and social rhetoric, right? No. In that situation, it's not about the Democrats or the Republicans. It's about the Sovereignty Party, which is a party of one. And it's not divisive. Let me give you some indicators. Let me give you some indicators that show that just maybe some of us have gotten out of balance politically and socially with everything going on. Number one, a lack of compassion for those who are sick with the virus or who have lost loved ones to it. Some are so politically charged that they feel that showing compassion somehow is a betrayal of their political and social convictions. Well, they should have been vaccinated. Or, look, they were vaccinated, and they still got it. Got to make a point. Either way, does that give you and I license as believers in Jesus Christ where we're told, Christ tells us, be ye merciful. Why? Because our Heavenly Father is merciful. So does that give us a right now to not be compassionate towards someone who has been in a hospital for over 40 days or a spouse who is weeping because they have lost their spouse to this? But, but we're so politically interested and so politically charged that we cut ourselves off from being compassionate. What has happened to us? A lack of grace 
towards believers and how they manage the virus. We see someone wearing a mask in church. Oh, they're one of them. Or they're not wearing one. Oh, they're one of them. Why would someone take the vaccine? Why wouldn't someone take it? That last check, please correct me if I'm wrong, but in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, and in Christ, there's neither vaccinated or unvaccinated. If I miss something, let me know. A lack of discernment on social media. If it's obvious to your lost coworkers, your neighbors, your family members, that you are politically passionate about a political party or social issue, guess what you've done? Whoever those people are in your life that are Christless, you most certainly have eliminated yourself as the tool that Christ could use to reach them. Because you're so politically charged and you're so determined to make your political and your social convictions known to any and everybody that will frequent your page that anyone that disagrees with your position, they want to hear nothing from you about the Lord Jesus Christ who died for their sins, which is their ultimate problem. Their ultimate problem is not that they are not of your political and social persuasion. Their ultimate problem is that they are without Christ. So that gospel that they need to hear, they can't hear it from you. Please understand, there is no political view that is worth sacrificing a gospel opportunity. There is not one. And this is what is burdening me, is that there are believers who have taken this bait. Do you understand that Satan will do anything to keep people blind to the glorious gospel? He'll use politics. He'll use social stuff. Come on. Personally, I was getting out of balance with all of this myself. I would watch certain news networks, listen to certain political podcasts that were of my political views, and I would get impassioned, and then guess what I would do? I was looking for outlets to what? Rant. Can you believe this? Did you see that? Now look at what they're doing. Look at this over here. I'm going to tell you what God used to get my attention so that I could readjust. I start seeing it and hearing it in my son. 
he was getting fired up. They said this is school, and he said that is school, and his kids said this, and he's for that, and she's for this. And it's like, mm. boy, I'm looking in the mirror here. See, I'm not training up my son to be political. I'm training him up to be biblical. I'm training him up to be an advocate for the sovereignty party. Now, that was a necessary detour, if you would, but it was necessary, probably overdue. But when it comes to the civil government, the question that naturally arises is, are there limits to our submission? Here's what we must understand, everyone. None of the God-ordained institutions possess unlimited authority. None of them. Husbands, that includes the home, <laughs> right? I do not have unlimited authority just because I'm the head of my home. So there are limits to our submission in all of them. Unlimited authority belongs to the sovereignty party, God alone. In considering this, though, we must establish the meaning of this word ordinance in verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. I think what we hear when we read that, and I understand it because I would be enticed to hear it this way too. I think what we hear is submit yourselves to every mandate of man. Is that fair? That's how you read that? Sure. This word ordinance, it just simply means formation. Right? So it refers to the governmental institutions formed by man. So the command is to essentially submit to the institution. There's a difference between submitting to the institution and submitting to every mandate of the institution. Big, big difference. This is why Peter mentioned the king and governors. Those offices or those roles are found in the human governmental institutions of man. So it's not that we submit to every mandate. If we did that, that would surely grieve God, would have to. An example of this would be in Acts chapter 4. A mandate was issued. What was the mandate? The mandate said that the apostles could not speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. That was a mandate. <laughs> it was. What was their response? Acts 5.28, saying, Did not we straightly command you, that was the mandate, that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. There are some mandates that we cannot and will not comply with. Period. But God is not anti-government and neither is MBT. Listen, we should pray for our government officials. We should. And I believe that our message to them ought to be one of peace. Look at Romans 12, 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men except the human government. No, including the government. As much as we can, 
We want to, if it be possible. Listen, no relationship has a chance for peace when one party is dead set on war. That can't work. So, when the stay-at-home order was issued in March of 2020, where the city of Kansas City and the nation was on lockdown, for two reasons primarily, we complied. The first was, before God for your safety and well-being. That was the first reason. Including the medical community at that time, all of us had more questions than answers. Listen, if we're going to make a decision that puts God's people at risk, we better be right. And so, hey, listen, let's wait. And let's pray and let's trust God. And, and, and that's what we did. Next, we wanted to send a message to our local government officials that we are with you in terms of your desire to protect the health and well-being of people. We're not looking to come out and swinging and fighting against you. And no matter what you say, that, that, that wasn't where we were at the time. That wasn't needed. Listen, I do not regret any of the decisions that we made in those early days, those early weeks, those early months. I don't regret one of them. I was going online for two months or whatever that number was. I don't regret that. I do respect that some had a problem with it, and I get it. No problem. You, you are free to do that. I wish this was as easy as it maybe looks from the outside. Please understand, from the start, from the start, none of this came with one-size-fits-all decisions. None of it. There wasn't a decision that we could make where everybody would say, oh, perfect. If that church exists, let me know this is my last Sunday. <laughs> I'm gone. I want to be there. Oh, that's in heaven. Okay, got it, got it, got it, got it. Yeah. Uh, since then, we've gone through a series of mandates from the city regarding what our gatherings can and, and, and can't look like and all of that. And, and listen, I get it. I understand all of it. But here's what we all must understand. The civil government is not the head of the church. Christ is. Christ is. Pastor John MacArthur of Grace Community Church put this into words better than I ever could have regarding the church and the government. And it was, I found it to be profitable enough that I included it in your notes so you would have it. We'll read it, I'll read it out loud, you can follow along. But he wrote, however, the civil government is invested with divine authority to rule the state. Neither of those texts, nor any other, grants civic rulers jurisdiction over the church. God has established three institutions within human society, the family, the state, and the church. 
Each institution has a sphere of authority with jurisdictional limits that must be respected. A father's authority is limited to his own family. Church leaders' authority, which is delegated to them by Christ, is limited to church matters. And government is specifically tasked with the oversight and protection of civic peace and well-being within the boundaries of a nation or community. God has not granted civic rulers authority over the doctrine, practice, or polity of the church. The biblical framework limits the authority of each institution to its specific jurisdiction. The church does not have the right to meddle in the affairs of individual families and ignore parental authority. Parents do not have authority to manage civil matters while circumventing government officials. And similarly, government officials have no right to interfere in ecclesiastical matters in a way that undermines or disregards the God-given authority of pastors and elders. To that, personally, I say amen. I agree with all of it. In this room alone, though, there is diversity of opinion about vaccinations, about masks, about all of that. And listen, that is okay. <laughs> That's okay. I like how Sam said it at one point. Um, the, 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 man, the mask mandate from issued by Kansas City is the city's mandate, not Midtown's mandate. And for those who care to know, churches were even exempt from the most recent mask mandate, just so you know. But our position and our approach to all of that has been, you do what you believe to be best for you and your family. And that is okay. As long as you respect what is best for someone else and their family, which might be different from what you believe to be best for you and yours. If I can close with this, I want to give you what I'll call a maturity principle. And it's one that, it's a challenge for all of us, starting with me. Okay, I'm just going to tell you right now. Uh, this principle, are you ready? Spiritually mature people manage differences of opinion very well. They do. That's not to imply that they're indifferent doctrinally or that they just cave in and compromise just for the sake of peace. And I don't want to fight with anybody. I hate conflict. So, yeah, sure, whatever, man. No, 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 not, not, not at all. It's that they do not go on the attack to destroy someone because they had the audacity to have a different opinion than them. They had the audacity to, to disagree or the audacity to do something different. How dare you? I will destroy you. Um, they don't become combative in tone and spirit and go on tirades and blow up social media because, man, they're going to drop an atomic bomb on your point. That's not maturity. That's pride. Ultimately, spiritually mature believers are all about what? The sovereignty party. 
And if I'm all about the sovereignty party, I don't have to get worked up. I don't have to get combative, defensive. I don't have to get nasty on social media. Why? Because I know who's in control. Father, I do pray that what we looked at today glorified you, and I pray that it had the effect that you intended for it to have in the hearts of your people. May we all walk away from this advocates of and chiefly concerned with the sovereignty party which is a party of one, which is yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.